0: Let's soak ourselves in words of Torah. A lot of what we've done in the last couple of chapters of Vayera, ever since chapter, uh, pardon me, of Shemot, of Exodus, from chapter 3 onward, we had a series of stories that relate to one single thread, which is at the burning bush... God um, both reveals God's essence, and we spent a, a lot of this year was focused on Jewish theology because revealing God's essence is, uh, in a sense, only happens at the burning bush. So if you're going to talk about what the nature of God is, we tend to think of revelation at Mount Sinai. But revelation at Mount Sinai was not revelation of what God is. It was revelation of God, what God wants so if you want to look at what a revelation of what God is, you go back to The Burning Bush, which is usually skipped over, and which also has something about what God wants. Has anyone here seen the movie Arrival with um, that very good actress with a pointy nose? What's her name? Amy Adams. So if you get a chance, I highly recommend it. So, that, uh, you know, I, I think science, very, very, very good science fiction often connects well with... Um, Jewish theological ideas, and that movie is a good example. So I, I don't want to, rev- if you get a chance, it deals with one of the major themes that we dealt with at the burning bush and God's essence, mainly the idea that the yud heh he is a Hebrew word meaning it was, it is, and it will be. And much of Kabbalistic and rabbinic theology is really trying to Explore how we break open our minds to really think differently about time. And the movie is all about that. And uh, very powerful. So we went from the burning bush in chapter three, and but then after God reveals what God is, God says to Moses, you got to go and rescue the people from Egypt. And what does Moses say? No, right? So what's he, yeah, be, be, and more specifically, what does Moses say? He can't, talk. he can't talk. And he is, uh, he is, what is it, like uncircumcised of lips. And then you look at the bottom of the page, and he keeps saying, I can't talk, I can't talk, I'm not a good talker. Don't make you know. And it says, in the bottom of the page, you'll get a footnote, um, he had a speech impediment. And then you'll get the, the old Hebrew school midrash, just like Abraham spent all of Abraham's time breaking idols in his dad's shop. You know, because we all learned that at Hebrew school, that's nowhere in the Torah. It was, a, it was, it's a midrash for little kids, and yet we call that adult Judaism. Similarly, you'll get the, well, I know there was a burning coal, and Moses' mouth got burned, and he had a speech impediment, but all of that's made up. None of that's in the Torah, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a midrash for kids, and. It is at least worth considering the more obvious explanation, which is what? Does does it really mean that Moses has a speech impediment? Or is he really just saying, I am bad at speaking. You picked the wrong guy. Why would Moses not want to go back and rescue the people in Egypt? The last time he tried to do it, his own people betrayed him. Right, they're like, "Oh, you're the you're you're gonna be a, try to judge us." In Hebrews, we're like, "You're gonna try to judge us." You, the guy who killed the Egyptian, and then Moses says, "Oh my gosh, like you're gonna basically the implication you're gonna inform on me." The matter is known in Jewish history. Informing is like up there is one of the top evils because Jews have spent most of our history living in uh, at the borderline pleasure of host countries that, usual, that we don't have rights to live there. And informing on Jews was a longtime practice of um, disgruntled Jews um, and getting other people put in prison. Look, we have Tisha B'Av on, starts on Monday night. In the Talmud, they say, how could it be that the walls of Jerusalem fell? Because, and the Holy Temple was destroyed uh, in 586 and then in 70 again. How could that be? It's God's home. And the answer the Talmud gives is that it was, certainly, it was probably a Jew informed on his fellow Jews that allowed this to happen. It's not about the power of the Romans. It's a, and they say um, it has to do with Jews who look exactly the same to everybody else, but they love to squabble and to hurt each other. It's the famous story of Kamza and Bar Kamza. He, this is the way it works. Jews criticize other Jews, and then they inform to the authorities. So the, Moses basically saying, my own – so the rabbis see in this, my own Jews, Moses says. They, they, they were like, oh, we'll tell on you. You can't be our leader. So the Jews don't want me to be their leader. There's a bounty on my head in Egypt for killing the Egyptian because they said anyone can take Moses' life. And so, of course, Moses doesn't want to go back. He just met a nice girl, started having a couple of kids you know taken over for the head priest Midian, his his flocks he's got a good he doesn't want to go back but over and over again he tells god i i, I don't want to go and one of his reasons is that uh, his main reason is i'm not good at words and remember we have the whole circumcision scene with the bridegroom of blood which is this whole thing where it says and then god sought to kill moses it's only eight verses seven verses and then God sought to kill Moses, and then uh, his wife, Sipporah, saves him by circumcising um, their son. And, as a, uh, and and the whole thing is weird, and it, it, Moses delays so much that God finally wants to kill him. Because it says all of this happens at a motel. It's the weirdest story. It's this ancient story, right? God sought to kill Moses at a motel. And Sipporah said... I'm going to circumcise our son and use the blood to scare off the angel of God. It's not the angel of death, but the angel of God. And uh, which the angel of death and the angel of God, is, you know, are kind of mixed. It's not like God's so nice he didn't want to kill anyone. So the angel of death, he like unleashes from a cage. It doesn't work that way in Judaism. Like when God says the angel of death's going to go kill the firstborn, God, the angel of death, is it really – it's the same thing. At the burning bush, it says there's an angel in the bush and that's like God in the bush – if it, if it's an angel, it's still an expression. It's an extension of God, um, of, of of God's essence. In any case, so you've got the um, and so it's all about what well, Moses was. He was hiding out at a motel, you know, outside of Reno, and and uh, he, you know like he's like trying to hide for you know and and like you know we're, 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 why isn't he going back to Egypt to fulfill God's plan? Yeah. Sure. No, please. I think that 's exactly it, and i 'm glad you brought us back to it, which is that you know we, we move away from what the Torah is saying when we hide in a, in a story, and if we want to make it a story about disability that 's very nice, but it 's missing what 's really going on to me, which was what you said, which is the biggest obstacle to leadership is often the the public speaking and I like to speak, and you know I like to talk it 's one of the reasons I became a rabbi but You, you know, being a rabbi or being a public speaker, I mean a leader, is not for everyone. And we, we can say it right now, you know, in, in, I, I, I'll stop right there. Um, but I mean, um, it, let me put it another way. What you say matters, and what you say will be scrutinized. It's very easy for me to think of messages that are very Torah teachings that are very meaningful to me to share, for example, in Yom Kippur, but when you actually get up there and then I look out and I realize the message i 'm going to speak is not going to really touch Gloria, and how much that hurts me right and then i 'm like how to craft a message that really brings people together, which is the job of a leader that can speak to everyone, and so you 're not speaking in such generalities that it doesn 't matter. Um, and you're trying to take people from here to there. I mean, it's, even for people who are comfortable speaking, it's, it, it, it's beyond daunting. I don't know what the word is. It, it, it's not intimidating. It's very heavy. It's a very weighty thing to bear that responsibility, if you care. Because then I care that I spoke about something and Larry's like, well, there went my Yom Kippur and that was not the teaching I needed to hear. You know, and it really comes to what it means, which is a leader represents everybody, and not just them that elected them, and stuff like that. Um, to feel that. Um, and so if you go to that, and then I'm gonna go right, right sorry, but I'll, just to get you where I wanna go is, I just wanna let you know yeah. that, think about where Moses was, is here, and he, and then you know, to get this idea, Aaron will join you, right? Although Aaron doesn't do much of the speaking. And also, by the way, if Moses is a stutterer, it doesn't seem like he ever stutters. <laughs> I mean, like, right? Pharaoh, and it's not like no one's ever making fun of him. I guess it was the most polite Egyptians who ever existed. No one wants to say, "Wow, you keep stuttering. What are you trying to say?" You know, <laughs> they're all—they're all like, "I totally understand what you're saying." Uh, so, yesterday we started the fifth book of the Torah, which will take us all the way through to Rosh Hashanah. What is the name of the fifth book of the Torah in Hebrew? Deuteronomy in English, which is a copy of the word like Mishnah, Torah from the Greek, but it's, forget the, the, the Greek word Deuteronomy. Divari. divari. What does divari mean? Words. It means words. It's a really long book, and what does the entire book consist of? All of it is a lecture, it's a series of lectures that Moses gives the people right in Jordan, right on the border of entering the Holy Land before he dies and they enter. So the book of Deuteronomy is different from the rest of the books. The rest of the books has narrative and laws, movement, all of that's done. They're right at the border, and Moses says, everyone gather round. Most of you were never in Egypt, right? Your parent in 40 years, that generation died. And many of you have been here along the way and have experienced a lot of this, but there's a lot you need to know. And he basically says, and we did it yesterday, he says, I will tell you everything you need to know. And it's a series just of, he says, and he says, I'm going to deliver it to you this Torah. And it's all words. So the whole book is a series of words. So think about where we are now in our reading as we start on chapter seven. He's saying, I'm not a man of words. Uh, just like Dina said, I can't be this leader, I can't speak it. And then where he is at the end, where he's like, I can tell you everything you need to know, and one of the things that we see, so you're like, okay, tell me more, Rabbi, how that's supposed to speak to me. One of the things that you know I talked about yesterday, at services, of forgive me if you heard it. There's some changes in Deuteronomy that we don't uh, of the stories because we have the rest of the Torah. We can read what happened, and then we were like, when Moses gives his speeches, he changes things. So give me an example of the things that he changes. And I gave two examples at services that jump right out in the very beginning. The first is that he says, I got to tell you guys, when we were at Mount Sinai, you really irritated me. He uses three words. You drove me crazy. You were bickering. I couldn't stand it. And I decided that to handle all of this bickering, I would appoint people to listen to your complaints, and to judge your disputes. He created a judicial system, for a civil judicial system, to settle disputes between people. Well, that's not what we saw famously in Parashat Yitro, where Yitro, Moses' father-in-law, is the one who did that. It says Yitro came, he brought, brought Sipporah and the two kids, and he stands there and he's like, you're crazy here at Mount Sinai. You spend your day from morning until night sitting here listening to people who have squabbles and trying to judge them. You're crazy. You're, 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 you're upsetting yourself and you're upsetting them by trying to do it all yourself. You need to appoint people to do it. And Moses follows his father. So it all came from his father-in-law. And so the question I have is, why is Moses taking credit for this? You know, are we already like against non-Jewish, non-Jews who live among us? Because Yitro was awesome, right? Priest of Midian who was like best friends with Moses. Um, Whatever happened to giving your father-in-law credit? But he also takes the credit away from God sometimes. So another thing Moses says is there was something uh, with the spies. Um, The whole reason they had to wait thirty-nine years to enter the Promised Land is when they sent in the twelve spies. Ten of them came back and publicly said, "We absolutely can't go in. We'll all get killed." And God, and, and God says, for that, you're going to have to wait 39 more years. You're not worthy. Um, and in the story of Numbers, who gives, the, who gives the instruction to appoint 12 scouts? It's God. And in Devarim, in the words book, when he's telling you, he's like, I've got to tell you about what happened with the scouts. He says, um, you guys were driving me crazy. And you were saying, we don't want to go in there without checking it out, that land. We're not going to go in and try to take the land before checking it out. And so I came up with this idea to a point, some scouts. And the whole thing backfired. And I'm like, it was God's idea. We're like, what is up with this thing? So that when Moses finds his voice, and there's no complaining about I'm not good at this. And he can do the whole, he can basically deliver the whole, to- the whole summarized Torah in one book. It's in, I mean, the whole, and all the history and all the narrative and all the laws. And, like, and when he does that, he takes credit for two things in that, what is he doing? And to me, the only way I can understand it, and I want to open it up to what you want to say, is that, that part of wisdom and getting older is to not say, "Well, I did this because someone else told me," and "Well, I know I got your diagnosis wrong, but that's that was my training, right?" I know I just charged you a thousand dollars to fix your air conditioner on your Prius, and I know it didn't do any good, but you know anyone anyone in my like that's that that, that was what we're told to fix first, you know that's that's what that's what uh, air conditioning car guys do, we you were me- let's say you were lucky enough to have a mentor in some part, or more than one, parts of your life. Instead of saying, well, my mentor taught me, you get to the point in your life where you own it. You're like, this is, this is coming from me. Right? I had a mentor for an earlier part of my life who was the best man at my wedding. And um, I'm o- I used to always give him credit for th- sermons I give and ideas he gave me and stuff. And then like, once he told me, I'm not in touch with him much anymore, um, you know, he told me, he's like, I didn't tell you that. And I'm like, you totally told me that. And he's like, I don't think that sounds like me. And I'm like, I totally remember when you taught me this. You're my mentor, you know. And then so in some ways getting older is, I thought that. I came, like this is me. I take ownership of it. If, if, if I'm the doctor, I don't say, well, that was medical school that taught me to say that. You say, I diagnosed you this way. I got it wrong. This is really the way I was thinking of it. You own it. You don't refer to your professional training, right? As a rabbi. I mean, as what I was saying about Orthodox rabbis. They always say, if you say, well, where does that come from? They say, oh, no, it's straight from the mouth of God at Mount Sinai. I'd rather them say, I think this is what the Torah means. And I'll tell you why I think this is what the Torah means. Not saying, oh, I have nothing to do with it. was Hashem. I think most doing the same thing. He's saying, I sent in the spies. Because you know what I think is when God speaks to you, God speaks in your head. God sends thoughts into your head. I don't think God's voice comes out of a speaker, you know, in in a gargoyle or something or a cloud. And so for me, he's like saying, look, I'm not going to say, well, there was a voice in my head and it told me to do it. You know, he's saying, he, he doesn't have to share that God told him to do that one. He'll share when God is relaying a message. God's telling you guys to do something. But for the things God told me to do, I did it. I decided that. I own that decision. And it's not a matter of why is he stealing credit, he's owning it. <laughs> well, you know that just you know, judicial system where Gloria's still angry at me because I ruled against her in that dispute with Misha and I said he really does deserve to have his own cell phone and now you guys need to accept my decision and go away and, and Marilyn is still angry at me because I, you know, like, it was like instead of saying, well, it, it wasn't me, Jethro told me to do it. You know, it's like, no. I instituted the legal, like, so when you take advice, when you take mentoring, when you take training, you reach a place, and you don't want to be the leader. You're like, oh, how can I be like them? But then when you become that thing, when you own your, your wisdom, and you own your adulthood, then you speak, and, and you're willing to do it, and you, and you own the thoughts as your own. And you own it as, your, as, as, as what you'll fight for, and you'll argue for. I mean, one of the examples I brought up is something that I still am ashamed about, because I'm not there yet, is I don't write letters to the editor, and I don't write letters to my congresspeople. And I've always been shamed by people here at the synagogue that I've spent time with, many of whom are are no longer with us, who did. And I'd say, well, that's so quaint, you know, Miss 95-year-old. That's so quaint that that you write to your congressman. You know they don't read those things. I'm thinking, you know, I think all these bad thoughts to myself, you know. But the truth is, I don't know that they don't read them. I think the reason I don't do it is because I don't feel powerful enough. I feel like, ugh. you know, I'm bad at writing those letters. They probably don't read them anyway. How do I know? How do I know if I don't write my congresswoman about the Iran legislation or about the the BDS legislation or about things to do with Israel or things to do with this country? How do I know they're not going to listen? How, how do I don't know that? Like, why do I have so little confidence in my voice? Why don't I speak in my own, you know Why don't I speak my voice? Um, so I think there's I think we don't want to miss where we were, where we were right in the chapters about Moses saying. I don't want to lead. I don't I'm not I i can not do what exactly what Dina faces when you ask, Who am I to speak? And he's now at the point not only does he speak, but he owns it. And he's willing to own that this is what I think, this is how I led, these were the decisions I made, and this is what I'm telling you to do. This is this is where you need to go and where you need to be. And 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 I'm saying it. I'm not throwing it on God. Now when God tells you to keep the Sabbath, I don't say I'm telling you to keep the Sabbath. You know, he's saying, no, God told me to tell you to keep the Sabbath. But for himself. He owns the decisions that he made. Any comments or questions about the transition of I am just not what it means, I'm not good with words, to the final book of the Bible, which is just Moses' words. You know, the whole pen he's saying this is a Torah. And germinated, and then
1: when it came out of his mouth his
0: idea. Absolutely. It no. <laughs> Lynn has masterfully manipulated me since the moment I met her. When Lynn really wants something, she's like and I'll do the same thing with you, so watch out. I'll be like, Terry, it's like that idea you shared with me that we really need to do it this way. And then you're like, oh, yes, we should do it that way. You know, I don't remember saying that. You know, I'm like, yeah, it was, exactly, it germinates. And then it's, um, but or, or, you know, or, you know, it's also called, like, direct communication, you know, which is it's like it's really bad that you know, uh, we have these germs in our house and blah, 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 rather than saying it makes me feel better when we all keep the countertops wiped and we wash our hands before dinner like in other words we own it as it's coming from me right i i don't i'm not trying to make cheap comments about modern society i save that for high holidays um, but <laughs> i can't resist cuz i mean well, and i'll own them but one thing is it seems to me the conversation right now in terms of the the feeling that you can what you can say and what you can't say there seems to be more rules about this and I, I really was struck i'm still absorbing it when i did a shavuot teaching and the, the subject I didn't come up with for the community tikkun was um, the Six-Day the six War and its aftermath. And at one point, we were reading a text from uh, Midrash Tan Khuma, and I mentioned something about the territories. I didn't say they were occupied or anything like that, you know, stayed away from any incendiary language on the left or the right. And someone said, and the room was packed, some of you may have been there, and someone said, oh, you can't mention the territories. And I was like, I, I was just... It, I'm still absorbing it. I didn't understand it. I was like, what What do you mean? Do you want me to use a different word? Do you want me to say Judea, Samaria? Like, I don't want to get into politics. I just want to... I was assigned the topic. I want to get on with it. And they're like, we don't know... Then she said, like, no, no, no. We know nothing of what happens in the territories. And I'm like, I, I don't know what that means. We know nothing. I mean, I don't really know what's, of what's going on in North Korea. But the territories are not like they don't have a, like a press lockdown. I mean, like we kind of know on the left end on the right, like it's not top secret. She's like, no, there's nothing known about what goes on in the territories. You may not mention them. You know, and everyone's got, I was like, wow. I mean, talk about the fact that like, we're not even allowed to talk about things anymore. It, 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 it um, you know, that's a place where I feel like, because it doesn't give a place where for people to own what they think. I mean, you're allowed to own what you think, but to say, no, you're not even allowed to have words anymore. It's a, it was a very powerful moment for me. Yeah. With that, I mean, I was like, okay, I'll try not to talk about them. But, like, the six-day war is when we got the territories, so it was kind of like life's, the whole topic was life since getting the territories. So I was kind of like, we don't know, like, yeah, I don't even know where they are. I mean, who's ever heard of them? I mean, you know, they've gone into a black hole. And uh, so let's talk about, let's talk about Kaddish, you know to me one of the most important moments of the entire 20th century was when harry truman you can still watch the video you can probably find it on youtube in five seconds whether he he did a televised broadcast and he just it was really short it was right before the vote to establish state of israel and he got on tv and it's incredibly short and incredibly powerful and he said i've conferred with my cabinet about the upcoming united nations vote about to establish the two states solution." And he said, my entire cabinet said, um, don't do it. Vote against it or abstain because they said that the, now that World War II is over, America, oh bless you, America has no appetite to get involved in foreign disputes because the, the British had just pulled out of the palace, Palestine, uh, Palestine, the British mandate of Palestine. And, um, and the American people want me to uh, vote against it because, again, there's no appetite to helping these Jews out in, you know, in getting the Arabs angry and getting us involved in foreign conflicts. Um, and then he said, um, I just have to say that I was there when the camps were liberated, and I saw this, I saw the Jews. And he said, I have nightmares about it every night. He said this on public TV. And he said, I, I have nightmares about it every night. They need a place to go. And I am hereby directing the Ambassador to the United Nations to vote in favor of the establishment of the State of Israel. And no one could believe it happened because all the papers are like, it will never happen. We don't want it to happen. And that was a guy who's being a Moses. You know, he's just saying this is – and John McCain was trying to do something like that this week, but it's maybe a, compl- may a more, much more complicated issue. But it's people trying to find – he's at the end of his life. I mean, he, when Devarim, when he finishes his speech, he dies. So it's like this is – I'm owning what I have – to say and do it in this world. And I'm not hiding behind anything. And I just feel like if we let people do that, including people who disagree with me, do you know what I mean? Like, there are no laws about conversation. You know, there are people here I'm, I have such opposite views of, but I just want them, to, I want them to own what they think rather than say, well, if only you, you went to this website and, and, and read these bullet points or something. I'm like, don't give me that. Don't hide behind Fox. Don't hide behind MSNBC. Don't hide behind it. Tell me what do you think the truth is, you know, and what do you think is true, and then own it What Dina has shared with us is that, as the head of the San Diego area for a particular charity, that the largest problem that she runs into to get in getting people to take leadership roles is they say i 'm just not a good speaker like i can 't take it on because i, I couldn 't stand in front of people and articulate the message that you want me... I'm just not good at speaking. I'm not good at speaking. I'm not good at speaking. And she nailed it in that this is exactly what I'm saying is going on in the Torah here, that we can easily go to Sunday school class and learn that Moses had a speech impediment. And it robs us of how deeply the Torah, all through these chapters of Exodus, is saying something very powerful that is true for the vast majority of us, which is that we say... I am not a good speaker to get out of roles of leadership. And it's trying to snag that aspect of our soul. It's one of the deepest things that holds us up in our life. And then, you know, so then you would miss, like, whatever, that the whole fifth book of the Torah is just words of leadership, of just words spoken by Moses and so much owning his words you know, not think, you think a speaker is like, well, I have to get up and say, well, so-and-so said this, and so-and-so said this, and, but rather just to say it. What, what is it that your charity is about? What is it the PTA is about? What is it that, I mean, let's face it, a lot of us just struggle with something as simple as being a room parent, right? Uh, how, but really what you're saying is, how can I do this? Who's going to help me? Who's going to inform me? of what our mission is? Who's going to inform me of what this, uh, uh, who's going to share with me what the future plan is? Because, I, I mean, if I'm going to be a leader here, like I should probably know where this institution is going. A lot of people don't want to serve on a board because frankly, and a lot of it's true, they don't know how. They're like, well, you know, what, I, I'm not, they, don't want to tell, they don't even know how to articulate. I don't even know what it means. I mean, I don't know what a nonprofit board is. I don't know what a for-profit board is. What are you asking of me? And then you see the, the interplay with God and Moses and, and the bridegroom of blood. Him saying, you know, why is he hiding out in a motel? I mean, just at the God's mission. What, what the heck is going on? And then this whole, oh, I'll send Aaron, you know, and Aaron will help you out. And, or let me give you five different versions or something of my divine name so you can tell it to them. Like, what can I help you understand? You know, do you need a guarantee that... I will share th- that you're going to know what the future of the organization is, that you're going to know how to articulate the message in a way that res- everyone responds to. And, of course, what happens when he eventually starts doing the message? He doesn't get a good response, right? The Jews uh, uh, don't really know what's going. You know, they, but that's part of leadership. That's part of life. It's like, you ha- you, so we, we, we absent ourselves from opportunities of spiritual, moral leadership all the time. We have fewer leaders than ever before. And when you do that, by the way, the people who do feel very comfortable getting up and talking um, are often not the people who should be. So it's almost a sign of good leadership when someone says, you know, I don't think I'm qualified to speak, which is exactly what Moses is saying. I'm not a good speaker. It's like, well, that's why I've chosen you. Because you are going to figure it out. And you're not going to be alone in when you do it. But... That's the journey, and that's what is going on with... uh, That's what Dina is sharing with us about our organization, to try to tell people, like, how do I work through that process for you is what God's working through with Moses. Say, I will be with you, and you will learn what the mission is. Like, it's not about other people can say it better or know it better. You're going to be able to stand up there at some point, and, and, you know, as I've done with leaders, um, where they say, I have no idea what I'm going to do for my Nidre address. And I can say I can help you with that. Um, I can't do it for you, but I can tell you talk about how your five-year-old daughter idolized our 95-year-old um, leader of our sisterhood, and just if you just tell that story, um, that's powerful. Like you, you, so I'll show you how to find the stories that are already within you, and 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 bring them out. And eventually, you're going to be someone who is standing for God in this world.